All right, Hyperfast Nation, we've got a special guest today on the show, an Olympian who's gone from rowing to real estate and has built an amazing real estate business, investment business, as well as podcast production business. So he's got a little of everything going on and crushing it. Welcome to the show, Hans Struzina. Welcome to the Hyperfast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyperfast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyperfast. Welcome to the show, Hans. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, we're, uh, tell the listeners uh, where you're calling in from, by the way, since we're, we're doing this on Zoom land. <laughs> oh yeah, Zoom land galore. I've got my nice little office set up because who knows how much longer we'll be in Zoom land. But the office is located here in the Bay Area, East Bay specifically. So it's Alameda, which is a small island right next to Oakland. But we're here in San Francisco Bay Area, where winters are bright and sunny and summers are cold and windy. All right. So we are uh, coast to coast today on the Hyperfast Show. Before we jump in and talk about real estate and all that great stuff, why don't you give our listeners and viewers a little bit of background on who you are, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, man. Well, uh, so the short ish version here is I'm, uh, my name is Hans again, Hans Trezina. And I'm, and I, in a previous life was a athlete, not, not the professional kind though. I put in a lot of hours and into my sport as a rower. So I rode competitively at a really high level and ultimately made it to the Olympics, uh, in 2016 and competed with team USA where we finished fourth in the men's eight. And, um, that was a big mm. part of my story and still is, of course. But then after we're, after came back from Rio, took a year off and got into real estate, which we can talk about and, and thought, you know, it would be flexible. It'd be something I could learn in the meantime, potentially go back and train for Tokyo, which as we all know, still hasn't happened yet. So that worked out all right. But I got into some short sales and doing some foreclosure stuff to get my, to really cut my teeth and did pretty well in that uh, relatively and for the first couple of years and then found my way onto the Gunderman Group, which is the number one team here in the East Bay. And, and last year we did just over 200 million of transactions and which some of the mega teams out there may not sound like a ton, but the next highest team in our geography, I think is you know just over a hundred million. And then most people are you know not even quite at a hundred million. So we're relatively speaking, do quite a bit of volume uh, in our marketplace. So from rowing to real estate. You got it. What um, what was it like coming in, in fourth? Because that's, that's pretty good. You know, only three people in the world beat you, but yeah, like just off the metal stand. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, for that reason, it was, it was, a, shoot, it was bitter. 
I mean, I, we went in with the credentials, with the, uh, the, the stuff, if you will, on paper to be in the medal stand. And, and that's what we lined up on that day with our goal and trying to do. And simply, you know, anyone who, who has ever raced at a high level like that can tell you, you know, it just comes down to execution one or 2% or sometimes less. And that's it. That's the difference at that level. And we were just off that little bit and, and hence the fourth place result. So in my opinion, we did not have our very best race. We were on average, the youngest crew, except maybe there was one other that was on average younger than us, but, um, we were one of the youngest crews by age and everyone knows in that sport that as you spend more time in it, you have more experience at the high levels. Um, generally speaking, you perform better. So we um, just didn't quite hit it on that day. And yeah, it was, that was on a personal level, that was a really tough one to swallow and took me honestly a year and a half of some therapy and coaching and all of that sort of stuff to kind of overcome the, what I perceived as a massive failure in my life at that time. How many, how many guys are, uh, are, are in the boat? It depends on the boat class, of course, but I was in the men's eight. So it was eight rowers and then the one coxswain. So that was the event that most people think of when they, at least in this country, when they think about rowing. What, uh, what distance are you, you going on that, on that? 2k. So 2000 meters. So just over a mile. Gotcha. And, uh, I'm just curious. I don't like how, what's, what's the time that takes the, the world record in that event for the men's eight is just under five minutes and 20 seconds. And, you know, depends on the race course, how hot the water is, the wind, et cetera. You know, most of those races are going down in about five and a half minutes. Gotcha. So it's, uh, I'm sure you put in like thousands of hours, uh, of training cumulative, and then it, you know, boils down to five and a half minutes. And like, what, what separated you from the third place guy, like a second or two or. Yeah, it was something like that. I, I honestly don't know off the top of my head. I know it was less than two seconds, maybe over one second, but yeah, it really was tight. And fifth place was I don't know. I think they were a quarter second behind us. So you can imagine it's all pretty tight racing. And that's where that kind of 1% thing comes into play. When you, uh, when you, when you miss it 1%, that's a second over, you know, 200 strokes or so. Yeah. I, th- I mean, that's a, it's a lot of parallels I think between, between that and business and life and in general, just, you know, you look at the hours you put in and then the performance getting all the teammate on, you know, teammates on the same, uh, page and and uh you know that cliche saying about life being a game of inches i think or oh, from yeah. that movie with al pacino and it, like yeah like, I, don't, I don't know what, what kind of lessons do you think you you learned from it that that translated over into what you do now yeah i mean i totally agree when you focus on let's just say one negotiation or one moment it it's very parallel because you you prepare you read your comps you, you negotiate, you set up the inspections, you do all the things that you need to do that kind of comes down to this like negotiation that sometimes happens in the matter of an hour or less. And sometimes it's, you know, one phone call and that's it. Right. So you've got that, that split second to perform the, the difference is, you know, as you go in your career, it's not like, well, with the Olympics, it's every four years, or in this case, they've had to go an extra year. So five years with COVID, but it's every four years and you get 
you get that five and a half minutes effectively to, to prove your, your quadrennial. And, and so when you really boil it down, it's like, man, there's a lot of pressure on that one moment with, whereas in business you get, as long as you're kind of in the flow of, of, of business, it's, you get sort of multiple opportunities and not one opportunity necessarily is going to define your career. So from that perspective, it's a little different and honestly is nice because it's taken some pressure off. However, the stuff that is translated from my rowing career to my real estate career is a t- gosh, a lot of it, but, but in particular is being coachable, taking criticism, applying the lessons I learned immediately. So I don't make the same mistake twice. Uh, and then finding mentors who've been there, whether it's indirectly through things like podcasts and books, or obviously joining a team that has just a high producing leader set and learning as much as I can from those guys, like that has been hugely invaluable. And then on sort of a, a, a one-off, you know, negotiation standpoint, physically being uncomfortable because we all know negotiations can be physically uncomfortable, but I've been able to perform in very physically uncomfortable situations. So applying the tactics that I learned, you know, that's in sport to apply it to a negotiation, to keep myself in the game long enough to succeed is um, kind of an intangible one that I, I like to talk about as well. And think that I, I think it helps me when it comes down to, to actually getting it done for the client. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of, of what you said is, is really a good reason why, you know, real estate agents, entrepreneurs, really everyone should, should go out and do things that physically and mentally challenge you. And, um, you know, we, we might not all be preparing for the Olympics, you know, one, uh, one in in every four years shot with the whole world watching, but there's much, much smaller versions of that, that then strengthen you, you know, when you go back to business. So and um, people talk about the Olympics and they see the title and they look at, you know, we watch it on NBC once every four years and the trumpets go and it's this cool thing for two or four weeks with the lead up and the follow up and all that stuff. Right. Um, and then we kind of go back to it, but you know, what I, what I tell people all the time is like, it took a lifetime of effort to get to that point. And you're seeing literally like a a one week of 12 years of work in my case. And in most of the athletes case, like that's what you're watching. And we weren't all born Olympians. In fact, none of us were, we all kind of worked our way there one way or another. And so the thing that I think I did well in my career was always focusing on whatever that next step was. So it was, you know, starting rowing, getting into the JV boat, the second boat, like that was a goal of mine at one point. And then making the varsity and then going to college and you name it, whatever that next step was. So though people aren't necessarily closing a $10 million deal today, or, you know, training for the Olympics today, like what's that next step that your version of the Olympics, what's the next big thing you can get to? And then how can you break it down to get to that level? And if you can do that effectively, I think you become pretty, pretty dangerous as a, as a business person and as a, as an agent or whatever you're pursuing. And, and it honestly can build on itself faster than, than I'm sure you would have expected otherwise. 
Are, are you still training or thinking about, you know, making a run at the, I guess it'd be 2021 Olympics? Yeah. Now, uh, no, I've, I've, I really gave myself until October of 20, uh, I'm sorry, 2018, but to make a decision on that. And I, and I really thought about it a lot. I went back and forth I said, you know, I've been there and, and this was part of my, my process of coming through the loss and the, what I deemed as a failure, but simply I've been to the top. I've seen what it takes. I really know that I put in the effort and had the results to medal. Like we could have meddled and we knew it, but I just don't have the physical medal. And it, and is my life going to be so drastically improved to spend another, you know, three years and change to go get it. And so I just said, you know, there's a lot of mountains to climb out there. And ultimately I decided I wanted to go climb a new mountain and, and hence why I'm in real estate and doing entrepreneur stuff and starting a life and doing some different things. So no, I'm not training any longer, but I still stay in touch with a lot of the guys who are. Well, that's, that's cool to hear that you were able to go through that process and, uh, and, um, you know, make that transition into real estate now you said your team did 200 million last year what what were your uh, individual numbers so interestingly enough i had a goal of hitting 30 million um, I, I listened to one of your more recent shows about goal setting i think it was right around the new year and so i set a goal in 2020 of hitting 30 million in closed volume the year before that was 20 million and i didn't quite hit it i was at like 19 and change. And I had something in escrow that didn't close until 2020. So I didn't count it, but hit 30. And then shockingly, I, uh, through my last negotiation of the year, we negotiated and the price moved a couple of times and we got it into contract and I put it in my spreadsheet and the spreadsheet said 30 million on the nose. So I looked hmm. and I did the math manually and I was like, Oh shoot. I guess I did 30. So I did 30 million on the nose exactly. And then did, you know, some other stuff outside of real estate business-wise, but that was my production for 2020. And where do you, what are you doing outside of real estate now, since you, since you brought it up? So I also like to invest on the side. So I buy um, small multifamily. We, my wife and I own two uh, duplexes right now. Um, we're looking to kind of go into slightly bigger asset class, you know, four, six, eight, ten unit world. But we just started with those just because they were a good way to because we managed them out of state and from a distance. So we had to kind of learn the ropes of management from eight hundred miles away kind of thing. Um, so we do that, and that's been a lot of fun and is definitely starting to yield some good results. We just refinanced our first property and pulled all the cash out of it. So now we're ready to go buy another one the old Burr method. And then I also, during the pandemic, started uh, a podcast post-production company with a couple of co-podcasters uh, called Streamlined. And now we're, we're starting to scale that up. And simply, we, we realized that there was a much more cost-effective way to, to post-produce episodes because there was hellishly expensive to get someone on Fiverr or a professional to do it. And we realized we could marry some, some 
human being effort and some technology effort together to basically cut the costs per episode in half. And so we proved it out with our own shows. And then we're now, you know, just over 50 people and um, really starting to, or 50 clients that is, and starting to really scale that effort up, um, which has been a ton of fun and, and looking into other post, you know, YouTube and some other post-production things that we can do for people as well. So what's, what's the, what are, what are people buying? Is it, is it a product or a service a, to make the, it's a service. Podcast? So simply our goal is, you know, you hit record, you hit stop, you send us the raw audio and the rest is taken care of. So we take out all the ahs and the ums, the background noise, the mixing and mastering, the ID three tagging, your show notes, your title creation, your social media graphics, it's all done in house, you know, with a pretty tight, quick turnaround of 48 hours or less um, in some cases, but we, we try and hit it in 48 hours. And then basically you can be as hands-off as you want. And all you got to do is focus on getting guests, producing content, doing your solo shows, whatever it is. And you can do it for longer because our cost model is much, much lower. I mean, we're at you know, in some cases, depending on volume in the $40 an episode range for all of that. And, and so your dollars go further and you can keep podcasting or keep yourself in the game long enough to build your audience and, uh, and really get your message out there. Well, that's, that's exciting to see. And, and definitely something I, I think is going to, you know, we're, we're just seeing the beginning growth of it and uh, I, totally. I expect to see more. So I'm sure that that's going to be, you know, a wonderful product uh, service that, that you're able to produce. And, and real quick, we did just, we are, we're taking sort of pre-orders for a physical product, which we got a lot of people asking like, what equipment do I need? What software do I need? Whatever. And so we're building out a product that you can buy. We're calling it pod box. It's simply a podcast in a box and if you buy it, it'll come with the microphone, the boom arm, headphones, all the software, you know, the, the information, the booklet, um, and post-production services for your first month of episodes. So it's literally everything that you need in order to get it, uh, get your show up and running and get yourself out of the gate because so many people just for whatever reason, struggle to get that thing started. And if, um, and so we want to reduce that barrier even further for people to get their message out there and, and experience the power of podcasting for themselves. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, it kind of takes away the excuses, uh, a solo agent or someone that doesn't have a ton of resources, you know, might, might think, so it's, it's cool to see that there's a product out there for, for really anyone. And you, you guys are kind of democratizing the whole production of, of podcast. Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you want to take your real estate business to the next level? If you do, there's no reason to go it alone. Learn from people who've been where you want to go. Carrie and I have sold billions of dollars in real estate. We've netted over seven figures for seven years in a row now. And we want to see if you would be a good fit to work for us. We don't work with a lot of people, but we want to give you a chance to get on a free strategy call to see if we can help you get your business to the next level. Go to hyperfastcoach.com and apply for your discovery session today. Again, that's hyperfastcoach.com. 
So let's go back to the the real estate investments. You said you you've picked up a couple. They're out of state. What what state are you guys buying in? So I'm originally from Seattle, uh, Seattle, Washington area. I went to University of Washington and and then moved to California after college to Rowe. And we wanted to buy locally. We we really originally wanted to house hack. We wanted to you know get a duplex and rent the other half out and do the whole thing. But the Bay Area prices, especially for where we were at financially at the time, were just prohibitive in doing that. And so we started looking out of the area and then out of state. And we were really close to buying tickets to go to Kansas City because uh, we heard that that at the time was a really good market. And I knew someone there at the time. And we were like, wait a second, if we buy this plane ticket and get an Airbnb, we're going to knock out half a year of cash flow by just doing that once a year. So what's the point of that? So then we realized we got to go somewhere we already go anyways. So uh, I was like, oh, wait, Tacoma, Washington. That seems like a pretty good opportunity. So we started looking there and sure enough, the numbers worked for what we were looking for. And the side benefit is we now write off all of our trips up there because we always go shop real estate. We always go visit our properties anyways. And we just roll those trips together and then, you know, spend, spend half a day or a day, you know, looking at new opportunities, managing our current rentals. And um, that's what we've been doing thus far. Was it hard to get into to pull the trigger on the, on the first ones? I think a lot of people like doing their first deal or their, their first investment, it's just something new and unknown. And, and it, yeah. it seems a lot scarier than it is. Yeah. In, in retrospect, it was, I mean, the numbers just work, right? If, if the numbers work, the numbers work, but you don't know if the numbers work until frankly, you, you underwrite 30 or 50 properties at least. And so my wife was way better at this than I was, but she was, she was saying like, let's just run five properties through our little spreadsheet a night. um, And then we can go watch Netflix afterwards. And we found this deal after you know a couple a week or two of doing this so we had underwritten a handful to know you know what's good and what's bad in that market and we found this one that had been sitting for like 9 months and the numbers worked it needed a ton of work but the sellers had discounted it to the level that you know basically 50 or 60 grand below the comps um, because it needed about 50 or 60 grand to work and so we're like, uh, what's the deal on this one? And, and we underwrote it. Um, we made an offer subject to us doing a walkthrough. We flew up there, made, did a walkthrough and realized that this seemed like a really good deal. And so then we were under contract and away we went. And it um, ended up being not so much a challenge to make that offer because I, at the time, of course, I'm a real estate agent. So I know that process pretty well. I know the contingencies you can get out of them, et cetera. But the real challenging part was I was also flipping a house at the time here locally. And so I had, you know, almost 600 or 700, you know, 600 grand tied up in a hard money loan and in, in the, you know, fixing up the property. And so I was literally down to my last couple thousand dollars and she was the one you know, buying it because she had the work history uh, for her 1099. And, you know, there was a moment there where we were like, <laughs> are we making a totally idiotic mistake by putting all of our money in this duplex in Tacoma? And then we've got all this money out on this flip. 
And that was honestly the hardest moment because we had to just decide like, are we going to be bold and invest in the future right now? Or are we going to play safe and hold on to it and try and get out of one of the, and get out of this contract. And ultimately we just decided like, let's go for it. I think this will, this will work and make it, make it happen. And and we reluctantly, or we pulled the trigger, you know, sheepishly and uh, gosh, I'm so glad we did because it was, I mean, I, like I told you earlier in the episode, we just pulled all of our cash out of that and are about to, you know, recycle that money again. So um, I can tell you that that first one was really hard, but once you do the first one, assuming you you've done enough diligence to know it's a good deal, uh, it will just start to snowball and, and get really fun after that. Yeah. Once, I mean, I, I think going broke by making investments is one of the best ways to get rich. And I've, I've heard this from a lot of different people and it's something I believe in. Like you, you make some money, right? Did some sales, did some flips and then get rid of it. Like get it out of your bank account, get it into like right. a good, good investment. You know, don't, don't blow it on, on, on something that's really high risk or, you know, you didn't do the numbers. Right. So you, so you got to make or sure a car. It's, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Or, or car, but you know, once I'm sure once you saw that bank account go down to, to zero or close to it, like you were yeah. out hustling to get some more deals, right. To, to refill it. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Like we, when you, when you kind of put your goals out there, like our goal, one of our goals has been and remains to be financial freedom. How do we turn our active income into cash flow or passive income so that, you know, we can cover our living expenses and, and not necessarily have to work. Right. And that's through, we we're choosing rentals and uh, as our main vehicle for that. And so when you really put that as your goal and you recognize that you're playing a long-term game here, I think it can change your, your outlook. Like if you really want to be somebody, whether you're selling real estate, investing in real estate, whatever, who's trying to get rich in 30 days, sell, you know, 30 homes in 30 days, like all that Instagram crap that we see out there, like you're going into it with the totally wrong mentality. In my opinion, you need to think, you know, I, I use this analogy a lot, but an, a marathon, a world record marathon is just under two hours, but you're also running, you know, sub six minute miles for two hours, like a good marathon sub is three five. hours sub before, five. or sub five. Geez, you know, okay. You're a marathoner. I'm not whatever it is. Right. So, but it still takes a long time. And if you're really willing to, to look at something it's like, there's a minimum amount of time I got to put into this. So I might as well maximize that time you know, maybe you hit it rich the first try, but realistically, if you're willing to put it in, you know, five, 10 years of effort, it's almost inevitable that you will succeed and you will get what you want because the numbers just don't lie on those. What, um, what do you look for in an investment? Cause I think, I think too many real estate agents or not enough, I should say, invest in real estate, which is unfortunate. Oh my so, gosh. I uh, totally what, agree what do you think real estate agents should look for in investments? What do you look for? I mean, if you can, if you can be in your local market, meaning take advantage of, you know, pocket listings of your local network of vendors, of contractors, of inspectors, like, you know, your local market, hopefully pretty well, 
And so if, if that's a place that, you know, cash flows positively for you, or you can figure out how to cash flow positively, then you should absolutely do that. In my opinion, it's cash flow first. And, and that, well, I'm not going to say anyone's wrong for doing appreciation. I'm just personally where I'm at in life. What we want to do is build little ATM machines and have cash flow. And so I'm looking, you know, for a minimum of like two to $300 a door as like a really rough back of the napkin number to say, is this something that I can dive a little bit more time in after all the expenses, the mortgage saving for the CapEx, et cetera. Can I get at least two to $300 a door? And then it's like, okay, that checks that box. Now what, you know, now how, how much deeper can we go on this? So it's for me, it's really not rocket science. It's just like all, can I, can I get to two to $300 a door? And then how much do I have to buy those doors for? And then does it make sense? Right. And so everyone can be different, but, but we've, we've just tried to simplify it to that level simply as a first pass, but I'm, I'm always looking for how can I maximize the cash flow so that I can start to offset some of my, you know, mortgage offset groceries, offset all insurance, all of that stuff. So that if I have a down month or if I want to go on vacation for a month from my real estate practice, I don't, I'm not going to be hurting financially by doing something like that. Yeah. I think that's a great goal for, for any agent getting started out there is just like figure out, you know, how many doors, how many units, whatever it is, do I need to own in order to pay for my lifestyle? Right. And then, right. And then work towards it. Right. It might, might not get there in a year or two, or, you know, it might take three right. four or five, but you know, work, work towards that first number. And then that's going to, I think, really give you the base to expand. Right. You can start doing stuff like you're doing, like, you know, refi, pull the cash out, get something else. Now, of course, if you can, if you can create equity for yourself, which, you know, that's another conversation, but if you can buy something that's dilapidated or has a tenant who's been smoking in it, or has someone who just hasn't been raising the rents and you can come in and paint it and do some new carpet and jack the rents up to a thousand bucks when they've been at 600, you know, then great. That's even better because now not only has your cash flow improved, but you've also improved the equity position. And what we're talking about there is, you know, let's just say you buy it for 200. Now it's worth 400. You know, you can get a refinance, especially with rates the way they are right now. Good Lord. Um, but you can get a refinance, pull 60 grand out of that thing and, and go take that and put that as the down payment on the next thing you know, and then you can recycle it every year or every two years or whatever the case is and do that a couple of times. So that, that first $60,000 down payment plus the reno or whatever you put in, you can just take that out and do it again, take it out, do it again. So you only got to make that money once and then you just recycle, recycle, recycle. Yeah. I, I love it. It's always glad to, or I always enjoy talking to other agents doing it and, and hopefully yeah, this conversation will inspire more agents out there to start acquiring investment properties. And lastly, I mean, the IRS looks at you as a real estate professional anyways. So now all of your, your depreciation and all of the stuff that would otherwise for most people be a passive loss is now an active loss. So it will shield potentially depends on your loss percentage and all that, but it can shield commission income from, from taxes. 
And it's like, there's, there's four different ways you can literally have a bottom line boost from real estate and cash flow is just one of those four. So, you know, there's so many reasons to at least have a rental property, if not more, in my opinion, as a real estate agent. And the, the depreciation can be huge, especially under the current tax law. You know, I, I had someone on a previous episode who just specialized in this one aspect of depreciation, but, mm -hmm. but through a cost segregation study, you can actually mm -hmm. take like much of the depreciation. I think on average, it's like 30% you can take in year one. So Dude, I mean, I did like that $500,000 property, you know, you're, you're, you're able to write off like 150 K of, of income or in year one. We did that. We did a cost segregation study on both of our properties last year and we got uh, money back on taxes. Like we literally didn't pay taxes last year. And for self-employed people who are, we're with this year, we're no, we weren't quite in the top tax bracket, but we're darn close last year. You know, to not pay taxes as self-employed people in the state of California is unheard of, right? And we were able to do that last year because of that strategy. So, you know, it's, Absolutely. There's so much power in having real estate with the way the tax code is written right now. And it may be changing under the new administration a little bit. So talk to your CPA, but it, it gosh, there's so many ways to get creative and, and use that to your advantage. And I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, there, there could, and you know, we'll see what happens. There could be a flurry of you know, real estate asset purchases the end of the end of this year if, if something changes, but for so, sure. So, so keep an eye on that. It's been uh, really cool to, to just see all that you've gone on and, and how you transitioned from rowing to real estate and investing. So I, mean, I think this has been uh, a really great, a great story. And, and I think it, I think it you know, hopefully has inspired a lot of people out there before we wrap up. I always like doing the hyper fast round. If you're ready for some rapid fire questions. Bring it. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate agent? Get into somebody's slipstream who's performing at a level and, and more importantly, even uh, has a business and a lifestyle that you would want to emulate. Is that, is that slipstream like a rowing term? Like, like get, get, get in the wake that they created or <laughs> yeah, something? Yeah, get, get in their yeah. wake, get draft behind them, get yeah. on their team, what, get them as a mentor, whatever you got to do, you know, because uh, success leaves clues. What's your biggest piece of advice to a, a first-time real estate investor? Uh, don't make an offer until you've underwritten at least 30 deals, if not more like 50 in a given market. And then uh, because you don't know what a good deal and a bad deal looks like until you've done that. What's the biggest challenge you've had in business and how did you respond to it or overcome it or, or what did you learn from it? My biggest challenge in business is is, is probably the inner game between my ears, meaning like my own mindset and the way that I continue to fight that battle to use that analogy is to have, uh, coaches. Um, I've had a number, I've joined masterminds. I listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of personal development books. You know, I've been to therapy. I've been to, I've had a life coach. I've, I've, I've invested a lot of money into myself to really hone that skill. Um, just like when I was rowing, 
I had coaches. So now I'm getting coaches for this part of my life too. All right. What, uh, what do you do in your, your spare time now when you're not selling real estate or looking for deals? Oh, geez. Uh, my wife is a personal trainer and also an Olympian. And so we work out a lot almost every day we work out together and I really am having a fun time on YouTube right now. So I'm making YouTube videos mostly that are real estate based to support my business, but I'm really kind of enjoying learning that platform and learning how to be better on video. And then other than that, uh, we just bought a house. And so we really uh, like to, uh, it's in a killer neighborhood with awesome neighbors. So I'm really trying to socialize, socially distant, socialize as much as we can with the neighbors because they're such interesting and cool people. So I've been doing a lot of that. What's, what's your YouTube channel? Um, it's, you just type in my name, Hans Struzina, S-T-R-U-Z-Y-N-A into YouTube and you'll find me, um, find my channel and find some of my rowing stuff inevitably as well. All right. Last question. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Oh man, five years. Where I see myself, man, I would love to be even a, a stronger listing agent than I, than I am. I'm always trying to get better. And, and I love that side of the business just because of the complexity and just kind of you control the market and, and people come to you as opposed to the other way around. So I like that. <clears throat> but I also love the challenge of the numbers, of the presentation, of the disclosures, all of that. It's a, it's a big puzzle to put together. Um, so I really want to be you know, hitting, hitting to, you know, get into a personal volume at, or in excess of a hundred million, uh, of predominantly listings in our market. And then I'd really love to have my, my side business here that I've started with my, my friends, uh, streamlined podcasts. You know, we've, we've considered different exit strategies on that one, but I'd love to have it be at a scale where someone like an Amazon or a, or uh, one of these big, huge names that you know wants to acquire it because then it could really scale to another level and help a lot of people get their message out. Um, so we're working towards that. And then I'd also love simply just to have a life in there where um, it's a big life in business, but it's an even bigger life personally, spending a lot of you know, date nights with my wife, still being able to go hang out with the puppy and, and hang out with friends socially and all that kind of stuff too. Awesome. Well, I look forward to to seeing that happen and 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 watching you grow and and you know we'll have to have you come back on and and the show to to get an update. Yeah, definitely. And if you want to check out the podcast in a box, we're doing some pre-orders so you can put your email in and we'll notify you when it's ready, but it's streamlinedpodcast.com/podboxx. And I, um, you can probably find that in the show notes or wherever. I'm sure you guys can put it in, but um, you should check that out if you ever want to start a podcast. We'd love to help you. Yeah, we'll definitely get that in the show notes. Uh, if people want to connect with you, uh, what other ways can, can, they, can they do that as well? I spend a lot of time on Instagram now. So Instagram is sort of my other guilty pleasure that I'm calling a business expense. <laughs> but I, I'm at Chief Sna, S-N-A-H. Uh, which is my first name backwards on Instagram. So I spend a lot of time there. So DM me, I, I get back to everyone who sends me a DM and love to connect with people that way as well. 
All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Hans, and to our listeners out there and, and people watching on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.